Nobody knows what's going on when we watch the Olympics. We just turn on our TVs and become obsessed with sports we haven't thought about in four years. This is why we made the Ringer Guide to the Summer Games. I'm your host, Roger Sherman. Each day during the Tokyo Olympics, I'll tell you about a different sport, athlete, or storyline. We'll be releasing new episodes every day starting July 19th. Follow along on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so you know exactly how to watch the Olympics. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game and they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com as well as the Ringer Podcast Network. Put up a new rewatchables on Monday night. Me and Van Latham broke down The Bodyguard with Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner, a movie that featured the biggest movie soundtrack ever made, sold the most copies ever by far. Also, the second biggest movie of 1992. And uh, Whitney and Kevin at their peaks and a fascinating movie to discuss. So I enjoyed that. Hope you enjoyed our first installment of the Music Box documentary series on HBO. Woodstock 99, Peace, Love, and Rage. Check it out. It is on HBO Max. If you have HBO Max, just go find it, click on it. You're off. There you go. Coming up, talking to Justin Verrier from The Ringer, who once covered the Pelicans, about what the hell is going on with the Pelicans and what a strange decade it's been and how history might be repeating itself there. AD first, now Zion. So a lot to cover and uncover on that one. And then our friend Kenny Smith came in to talk about uh, lessons from the finals, um, the 1987 draft that he was in once upon a time and a whole bunch more good stuff. Uh, speaking of the NBA, Thursday, we're going to be going all out. Me and Rosillo and KOC, we're going to put up a multi-part podcast during the draft that day. A little bit like what we did with the trade deadline and a couple other times where we're going to be basically putting up parts in 35 to 40 minute installments. They could just go right up. They'll be easily uh, titled so you'll know what's coming. And, uh, and that's how we're going to do it. So stay tuned on Thursday. A lot of action on this feed. Can't wait. Uh, it's all next first. Our friends from Pearl Jam.
All right, we have the NBA draft coming on Thursday. Justin Barrier is here. He works for a great website called TheRinger.com. He is one of the hosts of The Ringer NBA show. Once upon a time, years ago, covered the New Orleans Pelicans, lived in New Orleans, and right now they are in a, a, a weird Groundhog Day NBA movie repeating all of the same mistakes they did with Anthony Davis, which you wrote about on Ringer.com. I want to really dive into this because I think it's an important story for a variety of reasons. You have a small market team that just keeps shooting itself in the foot with really shaky ownership the entire time. You have um, a potential Pantheon player or borderline Pantheon in Zion who has a chance to maybe someday do what we just saw Giannis do. And yet um, everybody assumes he's going to re-sign there out of his rookie deal because that's what always happens. We've never seen somebody say, you know what, I'm actually not going to do that. I'm getting out of here now. I'm going. And then you see like the same mistakes that not only New Orleans made with Davis, but Cleveland made in the mid-2000s with LeBron, where it's like this quick fix. We got to be good right away. We're just worried. We're worried about this invisible time clock hanging over us years from now over actually trying to build something around him. How did they not learn from everything that just happened with Anthony Davis here? Yeah, in the broad sense, I feel like things have changed, right? There's enough signs that things are a little bit different from when AD uh, was there for his seven years. The big thing, as I wrote about, was that they have options now because of all the picks they got for Davis, all the picks they got for Drew Holiday. They have flexibility in a way that they never had under Dell Dempson when they had Anthony Davis. They were always stealing from Peter to pay Paul. It was always one move in order to get into the playoffs, not necessarily excel. And now they actually have some extra draft picks, extra draft capital in order to make moves like they made on Monday. The problem is there are enough signs, including that trade, where you start to get a little worried. And I think the big thing, in addition to just pretty much admitting that all the moves that you made last year are a mistake with this one trade on Monday is just like Zion's unhappiness. And like, yes, stars are unhappy this uh, this day and age across the league, but it does feel like this is happening with Zion earlier than it ever happened with AD and earlier than I can ever remember with most stars of his caliber. Yeah, and we'll get into that trade in a second, but you were covering the team right as the parentheses AD is unhappy starts getting <laughs> whispered around, right? And yeah. it's becoming a thing and... It's like, where is this going? Well, wh how do we fix it? How do we make you less unhappy? And that leads to a Boogie Cousins trade where they trade Buddy Heald and two future first-round picks, a trade that at the time seemed like a fair trade, right? It was like, oh, right. yeah, they should probably do this. They now have two of the best 15 guys in the league. That's a great thing to have. Uh, in retrospect, you would never do a trade like that. But um, when, when you were covering the team, how does the Whisper campaign work with... <laughs> Our star isn't happy. Who's doing it? How do you know? How do you suss out what's real and not real? Well, when I was there, it was a little more apparent because in my first offseason with the team, that was when they lost Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon for nothing and replaced them with Etwan Moore and Solomon Hill. And so oh, yeah. It was, like, it was a pretty glaring red sign to the point where when they, they came back for preseason, they held their like their their media days. They were talking about how they wanted to be more like the Celtics. This was during the era where the Celtics were that like spunky team under Brad Stevens, didn't have a lot of talent, but they played really hard. They played yeah. a lot of defense. 
And so they're talking about how they want to be like the Celtics. Meanwhile, the Celtics were making all of the right moves in order to get Anthony Davis and setting themselves up. It didn't work that way as a prime candidate for a trade destination. And so they got themselves into the situation long before that, though, where they make the holiday trade, which at the time, like Drew Holiday wasn't the type of player he is today. He was an all-star by name only because uh, I believe he was an injury replacement that year with the Sixers. He was young and he had upside, but they were still mortgaging precious draft picks, two lottery picks in order to bring him into the fold. And once you do that, it just kind of creates this this cascading event where you have to keep doubling down, keep bringing in veterans in or- because you've signaled to the world and ownership in particular that we're going to win now. And when you do that, it's hard to really walk it back and be like, hey, we don't want to boogie cousins. We're going to see what happens with Buddy Heald and we're going to play this out. Right. All right. So let's go way backwards. <laughs> okay. They have that Chris Paul team. It's doing well. All of a sudden, um, the NBA has to take over ownership of the team. And we have this really weird stretch, 2010. They can't find an owner because at that point, the NBA values, God, I wish I had a shitload of money back then. It was, remember, people were cherry picking like the Sixers for $230 million and sure. these crazy numbers because people were like, this, what, what's going to happen to this NBA business? Attendance numbers are way down. Where's, where's this next revenue stream? Nobody sees streaming, all that stuff coming. Everybody's an idiot. Um, so the league takes over, the lockout happens, lockout ends. We get the Chris Paul drama, Lakers versus Clippers, and the Clippers end up getting him. They get a, what turned out to be not a great package back from them. Eric Gordon's the centerpiece. They get one pick. They have this terrible lockout season, but somehow miraculously get Davis. So now they have the reboot. It's like, this mm-hmm. is great. We have our owner in place. We have Anthony Davis. Then as you say, a year later, they make this holiday trade. The trade, I went back because I couldn't totally remember what it was. It was the number six pick, which was Nerland's Noel, which at the time he had fallen. It seemed like he might be the number one pick. Mm-hmm. He's number six, and they get a top five 2014 protected pick. Do you remember what player was in that spot? Was it Sarich? It was Alfred Payton. <laughs> That's right. Nerland's so Noel, actually. Yeah. yeah, so Philly did like that weird Sarich thing where they, they traded Payton to somebody else. So anyway, that... On paper, just those spots, Nerlens Noel and Alfred Payton for Drew Holiday is a pretty good trade. Like, I actually don't mind that trade. Maybe they overvalued a little bit. What the sure. problem was the next two summers, they spent $44 million in four years on Tyreek Evans. Then the following year was the Omer Ashik, Ryan Anderson super splurge. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then on top of it, they just couldn't keep Gordon healthy. And that tied into really what was going on with the organization where it was like, Nobody on this team could stay healthy ever. And, you know, as you were in there embedded in there, that was a recurring theme, right? It's like, is this a mom and pop organization or is this a real NBA organization where they take care of players and, you know, this is an A-plus effort behind the scenes? What was your, what did you learn as you were covering them at that time? Yeah, I mean, I think the first season I was there, they set records for for games missed because of injury and illness and like, I did a story where the the lead trainer there was basically like I was asking him about all the the technology that they were interested in and like and he just had this quote about like I I like my hands like my hands or what I rely on it was a very, it was not a great sign I mean yeah the thing I always tell people is I I think people want to like focus on like they want to look at the Pelicans injury situation and think it's like a decrepit uh, hospital or something like that but a lot of these 
these issues happen on the fringes. It's things like you're talking about with Eric Gordon who can't stay healthy, but he's also unhappy. And then just like that type of thing just festers and it just compounds. And like that's all of those things tend to build up. And that's the, the real issue with the small market franchise is if, is if you don't have the resources or just the know-how to, in order to do those little things that build into bigger successes, I, I just think it, it, it often overwhelms you at a certain point. And, and to your point, like the, the injury stuff, like I, to this day, <laughs> they brought in the Suns training staff. It seems like there's a better situation there. I haven't been there in a long time, but it, it still feels like they're they're fighting the injury bug today. And it's a weird time in the league, right? Because their mentality with Davis is like, we got to get a center next to him. Right. That's... Yeah, there's this weird... This, this is where the league's going. So it's like right. Nerland's Noel. It's Omer Ashik. It's Robin Lopez. Over and over again, but now, really, like what the way they should have gone has been like, we don't need a center. Let's go, let's go small or let's build like a fast team with shooters. But I, I just, I don't blame them for not realizing it because this was the Roy Hibbert era all of a sudden ended abruptly and all of a sudden the Warriors usher in this new era. But they spent a lot of capital trying to put guys next to Davis that was like really a waste of resources. Yeah, I mean, the Ashik trade was kind of in the, the following re-signing of him that summer, I believe, Oof. was kind of the record scratch on NBA big men. It was like, that was when the door closed and big men were no longer the Ashik types. And so for a long time, they kind of traded back and forth between uh, going offense only with Ryan Anderson or going defense only with Omar Ashik. They were never in a perfect spot. And then it leads to this issue where Davis doesn't want to play center. And then you're trying to like cater to his needs. And when you're getting into that situation, I, I think the Ashik signing kind of speaks to that. You're really trying to appease him and maybe that's not best long-term for the team. And so you get into this weird nebulous place where you don't want to be. It's, it, it, it just like, like I said before, it just compounds and like these things tend to build up. Well, and you also have a situation where New Orleans is the number one draft pick are, of the game show. Are we sure they should have an NBA team? And right. look, we just saw it with Milwaukee. If you have the right organization in place and the right ownership and people really investing and it's basically all they're doing is thinking about how to make this an awesome NBA franchise despite some market limitations, that's going to work. You also have in Milwaukee, you have a legacy of you have 50 years of basketball fans. You have some fun things that happen. New Orleans has the opposite. New Orleans had the jazz in the 70s which were a catastrophe. They end up moving to Utah. Um, they have this kind of weird Charlotte situation that uh, George Shin fle flees from Charlotte, ends up in New Orleans, and then yeah. all that stuff, they end up going back um, as an expansion team. And it's just, the fit was never right. We've had moments where, um, you know, especially with Chris in 2008, where they went toe-to-toe -to -toe a little bit. Um, but it just never happened these last 12 years. They were owned by the same family that owned the football team. We all know what they're going to care about more. We all saw the seats at the Smoothie King Center, or whatever it was called before that, where and you just look at this and you go, are we sure the city should have a basketball team? So the answer is, yeah, if it was probably properly managed, anyone should have a basketball team. But when you take a small market combined with some incompetent decisions and um, the fact that, honestly, if they get Michael Kidd Grocrest instead of Davis in 2012, then what happens? What are right. we looking at? I mean, this team won the lottery twice with two generational talents in the lottery. Right. You know? Like, yeah. you, you would say Zion and Anthony Davis are probably the two best prizes of this whole decade. 
Right. You know? Yeah, I, I almost look at it like it's the difference between going to a big school and going to a small, like, local college. And the problem is today's player doesn't want to, by and large, go and stay in the local small college unless you're Giannis and you're just wired completely different than some of the other players today. And I almost wonder if it was uh, to their detriment that they brought in so many players from the Lakers who have seen life in the glamour market, who have seen the other side of the thing or used to kind of the comforts of being like seeing the celebrities on on, uh, on the sidelines. When you look in New Orleans, it's usually the guy from Arcade Fire or like Bunk from the wire sometimes when he's down there. Um, And and so I I do think like that doesn't help things. It's just, I don't know. And I also wonder if like drafting those players, actually lucking into a Davis and a Zion at the top of the draft almost creates this gift curse scenario where, yeah, you have the one thing every team needs and wants. But on the other hand, that player is going to require certain things that other players don't. He's going to want to accelerate the growth process, both because of what stars the man and because of what their talent affords. Like Davis was ready to be not necessarily a centerpiece, but to be a, a starter on a playoff team as soon as his rookie year. Zion, same thing. He got hurt, but it, it almost it's tough like because you don't want to say it's a bad thing to get the number one overall pick, but it does kind of force your hand into what type of team you are going to be and how quickly you need to be that team. Well, you just have to add up all the people who've been unhappy there the last 10 years. That's a red flag too. If you're just looking around and it's just like, who's, who's happy? Who's <laughs> right. Who's selling this team out in the public? Who's the guy drew holiday, I guess would be the closest they had to a happy guy. But I, I feel like drew holiday is a really unique character guy you know I, I i feel like he's gonna make the best of any situation and in, in a lot of different ways but they just had a lot of unhappy people and they had some bad luck too right like um the the ryan anderson like the stuff he went on the stuff that happened to him in his personal life was really unfortunate yeah. um the gordon injuries well, I don't know who to blame between the team or whatever, but then you see him in Houston and it's like, oh, that's the guy we always thought Eric Gordon was going to be dating back to the Clipper days. And then Boogie getting hurt at the tail end of a, what was that, an overtime game? I was watching that game when he went down. He played like 45 minutes. and Against Houston, yeah. Yeah, and they really looked like they had something with Davis and Boogie. They were a real bitch to play. It wasn't much different than what the Lakers stumbled into last year in the bubble where they were just kind of overpowering teams. And so Boogie goes down. Would he have gone down anyway? I don't know. But um, this is a a bad luck thing that dates back to them in the 70s. I mean, one of the most famous trades that they made, not for a good reason, was when they signed Gail Goodrich Mm. during the first year of free agent compensation. They have to give the Lakers two first-round picks. Gail Goodrich shows up and blows out his Achilles in like three weeks. And then one of those picks turns out to be Magic Johnson. Like, mm. that's the legacy of this New Orleans team. We're over and over again, bad luck. So they have the good luck with the lottery, but everything else has kind of gone sideways. So anyway, Boogie gets hurt. Davis signs with Clutch. Now the clock is on. Yeah, He's like, I'm that- only going to the Lakers. Do we feel good about what they got from the Lakers all these years later? Because I thought they overpaid. And I still feel like I looked at it. It's like a really good haul. That was bad as well as you're going to do for a superstar. Um, but that now you actually look at how it's played out with some of these guys, especially if they lose Lonzo, and it's like, eh, not as great of a haul as I thought. 
Yeah, and that's the problem with getting these guys as they're just on the cusp of getting paid. Like, yeah, you have guys that are further along in the process, but now Brandon Ingram, yes, he's an all-star. and He's a guy you want to kind of build around along with Zion, but you need to pay him a max extension. Lonzo Ball finally finds his shot. You could finally say, well, some people can finally say that you're confident in Lonzo as an offensive player, as a shooter. But once again, he wants a bigger contract. And he, he doesn't sound like, based on some of the interviews Rich Paul is giving, wants to stay put in New Orleans. And so that is also the problem with accelerating the process is like it costs more and it, and it sucks up your resources. And that's something that the Pelicans like have never been willing to do is overspend. Like go back and try to find a time that they ever uh, went spent into the luxury tax with this ownership, you can't find it because they haven't done it. On the one hand, maybe they haven't had the type of team to really push all in and be willing to spend that. But like, if you're getting into these situations where these guys actually do hit, you're going to have to pay them as if they're core players, but you're still trying to add other guys. And so it, it's really, you're trying to walk, you're trying to follow two timelines and that really never works for any franchise. I mean, look at the Warriors now. They're kind of in a similar boat. Yeah, and then you think, you know, the guys you're getting back you're really hoping to go two for two. They end up going one for two, but it, it Lonzo's another one where I feel like Lonzo's going to come back to haunt them. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I actually really like Lonzo. Like if I, the, I look at the teams like the Bulls, the Knicks, a couple of these other ones. I think he's easy to play with. I think he's gotten better every year as a shooter. I think he's a good defender. He doesn't need the ball, which is great. He's a little, a little like Halliburton, right? Where, um, he's not somebody who's going to have like the 35 usage rate, but it just seems like the ship has sailed with him. And I think you have to ask yourself as a franchise and as a city, like, why do these guys keep wanting to leave? You know, and why didn't this work out with Lonzo? All right. So there's this David Griffin piece that I want to get into, but we're going to take a quick break. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions. But right now, I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is... The one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. All right, so Clutch signs Davis, fork in the road. They may, they know they have to make this big Davis trade. They hire David Griffin to run the team. Uh, David Griffin has been on this podcast. Very nice guy. I like David Griffin. Everyone likes to hire. I would say him and Neil O'Shea have probably played the media the best out of any GMs over the last 10 years. Maybe secret Masai, secret <laughs> Sean Marks. Sure. But Griffin and O'Shea are just great at everything. So it's like, oh, Griff's in charge. This is going to be great for them. He takes 
He takes Zion. He has the fourth pick, which he gets from the Davis trade. Mm -hmm. Makes the big Davis trade. Gets all these picks, all this stuff. Has the fourth pick. DeAndre Hunter on the board. Trades back. Gets 8, 17, and 35. And takes Jackson Hayes over Rui, Reddish, and Cam Johnson. And then Alexander Walker, 17th. I would personally rather have DeAndre Hunter. I think you would too. Sure. Totally. Um, 2020 had Kira Lewis, 13th pick. Mm-hmm. Easily had the assets to move up to get Halliburton at 10 or 11 or maybe even 12, right? Just move up mm-hmm. three spots. He's Halliburton didn't get him. Stayed with Kira Lewis. We'll see if he's good. The holiday trade basically turns into he has to take Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe back. He gets 25 and 27 first from the Bucks and pick swaps in 24 and 26, which sounds great unless Giannis resigns. Giannis resigns. It's still a <laughs> sure. big haul. Still a big haul for Drew Holiday, a guy who might be leaving in the year. The problem is you have Adams and Bledsoe. Bledsoe at the time of the trade, three years, 54.4 million. Adams last year, 27.5. For some reason, this was inexplicable when it happened. They give Adams a two-year extension for 35 million that kicks in for this upcoming season. So now you're in the hook for Bledsoe and Adams, basically for a combined 35 million a year for this year, next year, without having any idea if they're going to be useful or not for you, for you. You also fire Alvin Gentry and you bring in Stan Van Gundy. You spend a lot of money on him immediately it's clear that was the wrong hire. It's probably the wrong league for Stan at this point. It's not 2008 anymore. So now I look at New Orleans, I'm like, wow. All right, they have all the, here's what they have for actual picks now. Number 17 this year, because they traded back for the trade we're about to talk about. They have their own first in 22. They have a Lakers swap in 23. They have a lottery protected Nuggets first in 23. They have a Bucks swap in 24. They have a Lakers first in either 24 or 25. They can defer it if they want. In 25, they have a Pels first and a Bucks first. Pick swap for the Bucks in 26, and then their own in the Bucks in 27. They have a lot of picks tied to the best player in the league who's who we watched his knee go backwards and he missed a week. Mm-hmm. Probably he's going to be around at a high level for the next few years. And I look at all their assets, I'm like, shit, this kind of isn't what we thought it was going to be. Like, like when you hear all of that stuff, what do you think? You have wild fantasies about trading for Bradley Beal for using all those picks and maybe some of these young draft uh, players that you actually took, Walker and Lewis, and flipping them for the type of superstar that Zion deserves to play with, right? Yeah. But they really haven't used any of them today except for this most recent trade, which they used in order to walk back all of their mistakes from last season. And so you start to wonder, like, what is the actual value of these picks one? And is it, are they really going to end up with the type of big return that I think that we all assume when these trades go down? Right. If you're, you're having a drink with David Griffin tonight and you're like, so how'd this summer go for you at the Pelicans so far? And he's like, (laughs) I, I've had to spend the entire summer undoing every mistake I made from the previous summer. I hired the yeah. wrong coach. I had to fire him and get another one. So now I'm paying two coaches. Um, I did this holiday trade where I got Bledsoe and George Hill back. I turned George Hill into 
Steven Adams with a first round pick. And now I had to give another first round pick and move seven spots back just to get rid of Bledsoe and Adams. So now that holiday picks not is because I basically lost two of the picks I got from the holiday trade in the first place because I'm trying to create this cap space for Kyle Lowry, who FYI, Kyle Lowry's in his mid thirties. He's taken <laughs> right. 700,000 charges. Like, dude, right. like to me, it's like, if I'm signing a running back in their mid thirties, at some point you got to think about like how many hits the body's taken and stuff like that. We're talking with Kenny Smith a little bit about how old eight guards can age, but I'd be really nervous about paying three years, 90 million for Kyle Lowry. I don't know if that's a magic fix. Plus you're in the West. Am I winning the title with Ingram Zion and Kyle Lowry and a bunch of rookies? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, it just seems like people saw what happened with the Suns and they just want to instantly copycat it to the point where the New Orleans Pelicans' new coach that they introduced this morning is Willie Green, the lead assistant for Monty Williams on the Suns. And it is a little troubling because last offseason, it seemed like they doubled down on bully ball and defense and toughness coming off of that Lakers playoff run. Yeah. (laughs) It does kind of smack of like people just trying to jump on trend and like that never really works because the replication is, is never as good as the original. I will say on the one hand, it's, it's good to see Griffin acknowledge his mistakes and to act on them. Because I think in the previous regime, one of the biggest issues was that they allowed these mistakes to compound, as I said, and allowed them to fester. They never really, uh, like just admitted to them. They just kind of kept going on and just making one after another. They did clear the decks, but this one does have a very Sam Hinky feel to it where it's like you have all these picks, but what are they actually for if you're just using them in order to try things out? I guess it like offends like how many GMs actually have the, the ability to make all of these mistakes and then use assets that they could use elsewhere in order to walk them back the next year and still have their job. Zero. I, <laughs> right. Like, honestly, if I own the Pelicans and Griffin did all this stuff, I'd be like, look, I, I don't feel like this worked out. I just watched you spend another summer on doing all the stuff you did last summer. Why didn't you hire Willie Green a year ago? Mm-hmm. What, what what's going on with this team? Also, like, what's our plan? Because why did we get all these assets, but we're on the clock with Giannis? I mean, with Zion. Um, and I would watch what the Bucks just did and been like, wait a second, Giannis, Zion in the Giannis spot, Drew Holiday in the Drew Holiday spot, and Brandon Ingram as the Chris Middleton scorer. Like, didn't we basically have the same kind of blueprint? Zion's not Giannis, but those three guys as the way they should have maybe complimented each other. Why didn't we just keep Drew Holiday? What was the point of trading? Why, why not just pay him so we could get all these assets that now we have to trade for a guy who's going to be about as roughly as good as Drew Holiday, Kyle Lowry? Yeah. Just just keep Drew Holiday? And that's if they get Kyle Lowry, right? Yeah. You have to convince Ooh, I don't think him. they will. <laughs> right. You have to convince him not to go to Philly or a ready-made contender. You have to convince him that or Miami. Is, yeah. You you have to convince him he's going to aspire to the middle, to getting this team over the hump and potentially making it back into playoffs. He could be paid more handsomely than he would at those other spots, but really they put themselves in the situation where they really need to use this cap space because that's the the primary value of this trade, right? Is to open that cap space back up and try to use it to find a missing piece here. But are we sure they're going to get Lowry? And no. And even if they they use it to retain Lonzo Ball, let's just say, is he going to be happy? And then does that just make their issues like the locker room issues that they try to 
solve by firing Sam Van Gundy? Doesn't that just bring that back into play where you're almost have an Eric Gordon 2.0 situation? It's just like, I, I don't, they, they have a long history of, of not being able to acquire marquee free agents. And to that point, like the last bold phase name that they got was Reddick, who at the trade deadline left the team and was pretty much calling Griffin in the front office liars for the way that they handled his situation. Yeah, they did this. That was another move from the first summer where like, we'll get JJ Reddick because they're basically bringing veterans like they wanted to win right away. And when Cleveland did this in the mid 2000s, I think the difference was Cleveland spent a shitload of money. I mean, they were in the tax. They were big free agent contracts for Larry Hughes, like big extension for Zadrunas Algaskis. They went down that weird road where it was like every year they were grabbing somebody else's giant contract where it was like Ben Wallace, then it was Antoine Jameson, then it was Shaq. Mm-hmm. Um, they they overpaid for Verizal. Like that, that was like this crazy, it might've been the most expensive roster in the league in 2010. The Pelicans have done the opposite. They've been under the fringes of the luxury tax. But I look at the team they're left with now, Zion and Ingram, they got Jonas Valanciunas, who I really like, who I want to talk about quickly um, in a second. Jackson Hayes, I have no idea if he's going to be good. Also, they took him eighth. I don't think you should ever take a big man in the top 10 of a draft unless you think he's going to make an all-NBA team. It's too easy to get big guys. And every then year, you just I can brought get a in big, a new big guy. Yeah. yeah, and you just brought another big guy. You can get right. big guys every year. Kira Lewis, Alexander Walker, they have 17th pick, they have $30 million in cap space. I don't see the free agent that turns this team into a contender. Now, they they were able to free up salary cap, so at least they don't have the Adams-Bledsoe combo. They might lose Lonzo for nothing. Maybe you can sign and trade him. Maybe you can get Laurie Markkinen back, but he's another forward. Or if he goes to the Knicks, maybe get something back from him. I don't really see the moves. I also don't see the fit with, I don't like a Zion Ingram Valanciunas backcourt or frontcourt. That's right. not a three guys that makes sense to me for the same reason Adams didn't make sense. I really like Valanciunas. I hope the Celtics get him. But um, I think there's a, it feels like there's more trades moves coming and I can't really figure out what they are, partly because I can't figure out anything New Orleans is doing. They're zigging, they're zagging, they're going backwards, they're going sideways. Yeah. Whoa, what the fuck? Yeah. I guess the one possible option is they could find a way to work Lonzo in a sign-in trade. I mean, the one burbling today is, I forgot who reported it, but was Lonzo to Indiana for Malcolm Brogdon. And perhaps Mm. that is the type of combo Kyle Lowry type you use. But again, like he's had injury issues throughout. throughout Sounds like a great fit for New Orleans. Yeah. (laughs) Bring your injuries to New Orleans. The most injured team in the league. He's definitely their type for sure. Um, so oh. yeah, they, they really need to to nail whatever happens in the next couple of weeks. It's it's weird to say this, but like what they do over the next couple of days, weeks probably dictates what happens with Zion long term. That's how quickly these decisions come up when you have a player like Zion in, in your midst. So two things on this. I do not think Zion and Ingram made sense together. I said this on Green Room with KOC and uh, Kyle Mann yesterday. I've never thought they made sense together. I do not think that's the foundation for a championship team. And the difference between Zion and Giannis is in a playoff series against the Phoenix Suns, if Zion got switched on to Chris Paul, Chris Paul would go by Zion and create a basket. That's the, he's not the two-way player Giannis is. He's a spectacular offensive player. Mm -hmm. I think Zion and Ingram play the same position. 
And I don't think either of them can guard anybody. So fundamentally, I'm not getting stops if I have those two guys together. And I also like, from what I saw last year, I don't know how much of it was Van Gundy related because they clearly turned on him immediately. Um, it kind of feels like Ingram thought he was the best guy on the team. <laughs> and you would see these moments where it would be like two straight plays where Zion just did whatever he wanted, got a layup or a dunk. And then it would be like, oh, now we got to run our Ingram play. Got to get Ingram involved. He's, Ingram hasn't shot for four times. I don't think that makes sense. And to me, where you have Simmons out there, you have Dame Lillard out there, you have Bradley Beal. I like all the, I even like the Simmons fit better than the Brandon Ingram fit. I would make a run at Simmons with Ingram. I really think that's the move. I'm in on the Simmons change of scenery as like this catch-all, awesome, unbelievable, Scotty Pippen type guy <laughs> for Zion. Yeah. Athletically, that team's a bitch with those two guys together. I put the ball in Simmons' hands. I think he makes more sense than Ingram does. But do you think there's any way they would trade Ingram? I think the one player that New Orleans hates more than Anthony Davis might be Ben Simmons <laughs> because of how Why? much he dogged it at LSU. I just, I mean, I could be wrong. Oh, I forgot it. Yeah, he... That was he a mail was really bad. Yeah. And I just remember people just being completely out on him in the draft, like wondering why he would be number one and like constantly asking me, the NBA guy, like, what is this guy's deal? Um, I think that's just a comes... great point. You're right. They couldn't do that because they care more about LSU than the Pelicans. So. <laughs> sure. I, my question is really, what is Zion? Because in the span of a year, he's flipped from being the ultimate small ball five to all of a sudden being your point guard. And so I almost like, don't know how to build my team around him. Like clearly the first hypothesis of just like surrounding him with defenders didn't work. I think a lot of us could have told you that yeah. before they actually tried that. I I mean, it seems like it's so simple just to say you need shooters around this team and maybe you, you pilot that and see if those two guys can exist with people who could actually provide them the space to both be ball handlers getting, but everyone wants a three and D guy. That's the problem that they all go for 20 million a year is because every team needs these guys. And you would think that being higher in the draft this year could potentially put you in a position to draft. I don't know. But then they went backwards. Yeah, but then they went backwards. And so I, I don't know. I mean, I would like to see them with, with a full complement of guys that actually, could could round out the Ingram Zion core, but I don't know. I'm not totally sold on it at this point. I don't think Portland's training Dame, but that I think would be Ingram, beautiful. Yeah, I think Ingram with the picks would be the best centerpiece trade for Dame. If I'm Dame, I'm like, wait a second, what? I'm going to another small market with a guy <laughs> right. who, you know, I, I have no idea if that could be my my uh, my guy to play with. Simmons, I think Simmons is just undervalued now. And, yeah. and was in a weird situation in Philly. And I would rather have him than Ingram. I would. I'm probably in the minority, though. I, you, you would probably rather have Ingram than Simmons, right? Probably. I do like the defensive, just just having that kind of almost like Drew Holiday max to go along with Zion, where you could just throw him on the best guy. But like the spacing concerns with the two of them is, is my pillars. Is, it might be tough. And then Beal... I think they have the best package to put together for Bill out of anybody. Because if, yeah. if I'm Washington, I'm not trading him for Wiggins and 7 and 14. I'd have to get Wiseman in it. Even, in, even then, I'm not positive that's changing my destiny because I didn't get like a guaranteed guy under a good contract back. But if I got Ingram back with some picks, and I guess that, you know, you have all these picks. You're on the clock with Zion, which is my second question. Like, I... 
really do feel like he could be the first one that just said, fuck it and left. Because I think he'd be able to make the money back. Yep. So I, I really genuinely do think they're on the clock. And some people are like, ah, you never walk away from that kind of money. I disagree. Somebody's going to do it. Right. Zion would be the prime candidate for that. And like, I think there's a lot to say that like maybe the Pelicans are operating at a point of fear. Like you can just hold strong and say, prove it. But I do think the moves that they made recently, getting rid of Stan with so much money on his contract. A lot. Yeah, and just walking back the the two moves they made over the previous off and, uh, off season suggests that they are operating with expediency in mind that that they need to appease Zion, and I think that is concerning. Like, on the one hand, I think it's the right move to do, but the fact that they're already considering that suggests to me that like there's already stuff in the air that maybe Zion could break the paradigm and want out before his second contract even is offered. You wouldn't trade Zion, right? <laughs> It's so tough because this is what you do everything for. All of those drafts, yeah. all of those moves on the fringes are to get players like Zion. But we're pretty much saying like they can't keep Zion. If you trade for a Bradley Beal, he's not on a contract long enough that like he would want to stay long term. You'd really have to have uh, a Paul George sort of situation. And even that didn't work because he wanted out the year after. And if you yeah. get someone like Dame who's on his contract for four years, is he going to be happy there? Is he going to show up? Is he just going to like completely torpedo the situation if he doesn't sign up for it? it just, I don't know. It just brings you back to the point where it's just like, maybe this is, has nothing to do with actual players and organizations, but really is about market and, and where guys want to be these no- nowadays. It's hard to believe they have a team and Seattle doesn't. It's tough. But I also think if they had a really good ownership and had done this correctly the last 10 years, it would be a success story like we've seen in some other small markets. You know, I, I think the combination of it's a football city, um, and the fact that they just never really had success. Like if you're, if you're 38, let's say you're, I don't know, let's say Van Lathan. Now he's from Baton Rouge. But um, if he was like, yeah, I've liked the New Orleans basketball my whole life. My dad used to tell me Pete Maravich stories or whatever. And I've been in ever since. What are his fun memories? The time, right. the time the 08 New Orleans team took the Spurs to seven? Or like the time, right. the time we got swept by Golden State in 2015. It's like you're talking about the one series you beat Portland. It's the highlight of the last 25 years. So it just gets tough after a while when you had at some point you almost need like a karmic cleansing or something. Right. Um, and I guess that is like a backdoor endorsement for trying to do something immediately because like there hasn't been enough to really rally behind if you're a Pelicans fan, right? They really haven't given you any of these moments. I think it was only two playoff bids with Anthony Davis. And by the second time he was already on to, to hiring clutch. And then that thing just spiraled out of control. And so like, on the one hand, I a hundred percent agree with you, like taking the same approach that you do with the saints just isn't applicable in a lot of ways to basketball. But on the other hand, like you have to actually give these fans something to care about and here we are a couple of years in a row now. They just haven't had the product to do so. And what happens if Zion just plays the, you know what? You guys should actually trade me now because <laughs> I am not coming back. It's that I'm giving you a heads up. I'm, Davis gave you a heads up. I'm doing it now. I'm not, I'm not coming back. I will be leaving the team. I'm not going to sign my extension thing. I'm just going to bet on myself. I'll be able to play in a big market and I'll make more than enough money back when I'm in New York or Chicago or wherever I end up going. Yeah. So it's trade me today. 
it's unprecedented, but it's definitely in the air. I mean, you have people talking about the Willie Green hiring as like the decision that could ultimately dictate whether or not Zion stays long term, just the relationship wow. they build and whether or not like he can help mend the fences that have, have been broken apparently in a year and a half of basketball that Zion has been there. It's just it's crazy to think about, but like this is where we are. Unbelievable. Um, what else are you what are you else are you looking forward to from the uh, draft? It seems like the top three is pretty locked in in some order, but we have those three and then Toronto. The draft kind of starts with Toronto at four. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing there's not going to be any sort of trade with one, two, three, but uh, Toronto at four will be when it gets a little interesting, at least. Who knows what they have in store? Who knows what kind of franchise they want to have for the next five years? But what are you looking forward to? I'm really intrigued by the teams that have two lottery picks. And now the Warriors are probably the more popular one just because what they do at 7 and 14 and whether or not they spin those into a trade probably dictates the fate of next season. Like if they can get an actual impact veteran with those picks and Wiseman and whatever else they have probably goes a long term, uh, a long way to dictating like who ends up winning the title even. Um, I'm also not to to make this a very like ringer take, but like what Orlando actually does with these two picks. Yeah. Like, like this is a team constantly on the other side of the Zion coin where they didn't get the first overall pick or second overall pick or third overall pick. And they've kind of been stuck in the spin cycle like Cleveland most recently where they didn't have those sort of marquee players. And I'm wondering like what they could do with two picks. Can they move up? Can they draft a guy like Kaminga who everyone seems to hate, but everyone seems to also acknowledge is like has all the talent in the world. And so I wonder if you take a bet on him, like maybe that could be fascinating. But, and I also wonder like if you take a safe bet with your first pick, do you take more of a home run swing with your second pick? I I think that's where the draft gets really fascinating to me because I think a lot of different things can happen. If I was Orlando, I would try to flip picks with Memphis, who now has the 10th pick, thanks to the uh, Jonas trade, Mm. where I would take five, I'd try to move back to 10 and get at least one other or maybe even two other pieces because Memphis actually has too many guys now, right? They have a lot of guys... (laughs) They have probably the most number of guys that I just like on the same <laughs> roster. They have like 10 right. guys I just like. Like, I really like Tillman. When they traded Jonas, I was like, that's weird. And then you think like, ah, Tillman's going to play more. <laughs> I really like Tillman. But Clark, yeah. Yeah, Clark, they, they just have dudes. And I wonder like, if I'm Orlando and I decide, you know what? We should roll the dice on Kaminga. His stock's low for whatever reason. But I don't need to take him at five. I can take him at eight. Mm-hmm. you know, and maybe if you flip with five and 10, maybe you could even get him at 10 instead of eight. Cause I don't think Sacramento would take him either. So you could kind of stack the draft so you could get Kaminga at the spot you want and pick up some other assets. If I were them, I would rather have eight and 10 roll the dice with Kaminga a little bit later with more stuff. But, um, I don't think they'll do that because we rarely see teams do the trade back. You have to have a lot of confidence you know, like Ainge, when they did it with the Tatum Fultz trade, like Ainge, it's about as confident of, gee, he was on an amazing craps roll in Vegas, you know, and he was going to do that because he, everything he was doing was working. I would find it more hard to believe that whoever the Orlando, who is the Orlando GM? Is it Hennigan? No. Hennigan's long gone. Can't even remember. Who is it? Je- Jeff Weltman, I think is the president. And then they have the guy from uh, Milwaukee, Hammond. Yeah, John Hammond, you're right. Oh, Sorry. John Hammond, that's what it is. Yes. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I I 
I'd want to get one guaranteed guy that I thought was good. And I'd want to roll the dice on the honest thing. And he had the success with the honest, obviously in 2013. So maybe he's like, Hey, Kaminga, <laughs> you know, people thought Giannis was too small. He, he could do a whole sell job on it. I just don't think Kaminga should go in the top seven. Cause I don't think, I can't imagine OKC taking him. Can you? It seems like everyone wants to talk about Boke Knight with them. And yeah. like, I, I'm, a, I'm a UConn grad, so I watched some of Boke Knight. I don't really pay much attention to college, but I have to say I'm a little I'm perplexed just because what I saw was a lot of pass, pass, dribbling to the lane ISO and hoping something happened. Like the shot didn't seem all that precise to me. I know he shot, I think, close to 30% from three. And like, but on the one hand, like he seems like the type of dynamic guard who fits in today's NBA. Um, and I, I think KOC has him mocked to OKC in his latest one. But yeah, Kaminga seems seems tough for OKC, I think, just considering how many like bets they're taking on these high upside guys. Their entire team is high upside guys. And Golden State's not taking them unless they're taking them as part of a trade for somebody else. And then now all of a sudden we're back with Orlando at eight. So I just feel like they can get him at eight. And if they took Scotty Barnes at five, it's fine. That's probably the safe pick. But um, I think they could get a little creative. I'm really interested to see what Memphis does because they clearly moved up to 10 for a reason. And there seems to be hints that maybe it's part one of a two-parter where they move up again to try to get somebody they like. And then whether Toronto just says, fuck it, we're blowing it up. Um, fours for sale, we'll move back. We just want to get assets. OKC sitting there at six with 100,000 assets. And could easily, if they love Suggs or if they love Mobley, try to make a move. I, I think I would rate this draft like an eight and a half out of 10 from an intrigue level. I think there's a lot of subplots going on. And on top of it, the OKC just being the guy at the at the blackjack table who has just way more <laughs> chips than everyone else, just kind of looking around. That part's a fun too. And then yeah. the Simmons piece on top of all of this, like could Simmons go on Thursday? That would be fascinating. I mean, I would love to see Simmons end up in Portland. I mean, obviously for Dame, that would be the most uh, value-wise, make the most sense as a, as a flip. But like, I'm slowly talking myself into CJ for Ben as being something of a, like a buy low on CJ McCollum if you get other stuff along with him. And like, yeah, it seems like a very Daryl thing to turn him into some close approximation of Dame by putting him into the system and finding the best usage of him, detaching himself from another score first point guard combo guard and Dame, and all of a sudden like that is the market inefficiency buying him and rounding out the rest of your team. Are you? I guess. My, what do you think about that? My issue with Philly doing that is I feel like that deal is there every day for the rest of the year leading up to the season. I think in September, sure. I can call them and be like, hey, I'm ready now. Simmons for McCollum. Like, I, sure. I'm exhausted. I really like CJ McCollum, but I just feel like that deal is sitting there for them. I think he's thinking, can I get three from Cleveland? You know, can I get Jalen Brown from Boston? Can I get, um, I don't know, some some crazy, could I get Ingram? Like, I think he's still working in those circles for some yeah. big blue chipper back that makes a little more sense maybe with uh, with Embiid. I wouldn't, I personally would not overreact with it. I don't feel like it's like panic sale. You know, all my stuff is on my front lawn. Please take everything I'm moving out in a week. Like, I don't, I don't feel like the Simmons thing is at that level. But look, man, Brooklyn's going to be healthy next year. Milwaukee was, 
they're only going to be better next year because they're going to have those two veterans that are going to want to sign there now that Giannis has gone up a level and they're easily number three in the East. Easily. Sure. Yeah. So you got, and you have Doc Rivers as your coach who has not had a lot of success since 08. Well, it'll be fascinating. Uh, check out the Ringer Draft Guide. Get, do some Ringer plugs before we go. Sure. Uh, I mean, group chat, usually Tuesday or Wednesdays on, on the NBA show feed. I think we're doing a free agency primer with Waz and, and Rob on Friday. Uh, KOC's draft guide, Charks writes constantly, Kyle Mann's videos. It's all a lot of good stuff up there. All right, great. JV, good to see you. You too. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I understand that some things you just want to keep private. Maybe it's something you don't want anyone to know, or maybe you think it's something minor, so why bother? But if you keep everything bottled up, if you let those emotions sit there and fester, it could be really, really bad for you. Sometimes it depends on what kind of family you're from. Like my dad's family is one of those. They bottle everything up, bottle everything up, and then they all just get mad at each other. Listen, talking things through is more helpful than you think. If you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend some therapy. Think about the things you can get out of therapy. First of all, a sounding board. You can learn better coping skills. You can learn how to set some boundaries, maybe how to empower yourself a little better day to day. And if you want to give therapy a try, well, I have an answer. BetterHelp, a convenient and flexible way since entirely online right now. It's easy to get started too. You can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Bill Simmons today to get 10% off your first month. That is betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Bill Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. All right, Kenny Smith is here. He launched the Jet Academy during the pandemic and it's been pretty cool. It's still going. You can check it out at thejetacademy.com. It, uh, the, I mean, the way the COVID's going and all that, we, you, we, this might be more valuable than ever these next six months. Who the heck knows what's going on? But congrats on that. Really cool idea. Man, it, it's, been, it's been great. You know, Bill, we got 6,000 kids uh, signed up for the Jet Academy. You go on, it's virtual training, but it's live. You get an opportunity, you know, now we have Jordan Clarkson, Kobe White. We have uh, Draymond Green, all, you know, doing instructional videos live. You get an opportunity to, you know, ask questions, be part of it. And then you can go back and watch it and uh, and do it as well. I'm right here. I'm a good, you know where I, you see all these blue seats, man. You know where I'm at right now, brother. I'm right here now, brother. I'm right here. <laughs> Chapel Hill. This is the live version of it. So wow. here at Chapel Hill, man, I get, you know, you get to be part of it and partake in 
you know, some real good basketball and real good instruction. And and and, and with way COVID going, who knows, man? Yeah. Like you said, thejetacademy.com. Awesome idea. Um, let's go back to 1987. Let's go back to your draft. Speaking of North Carolina, this is a fun top 11 to redo because we have the NBA draft coming Thursday, but Robinson goes first, even though we know he's not coming for t- two more years. Armin Gillian to the Sun second. Hobson to the Nets third. Who Your classic great athlete, shooting guard guy doesn't really pan out. Reggie Williams to the Clippers fourth. I still feel like if he goes to a different team, his whole career is different. I feel like you the Clippers thing goes right Reggie, on him. Reggie, Reggie Miller and I redid our draft together. Yeah. And we we were a consensus that he would go second because of the way the game is today. Yeah, Reggie we're, Miller we're would. We're talking yeah. about the modern day game. If we were if we were drafting in today's era, he would go second and I would go third. Because dunking and shooting threes, that's what I did. You know, right. I was fast and I get to the rim and I dunk and I shot threes. Reggie shot threes with an incredible distance early on, even in college. So we always say Robinson would still go one. Yeah. And he would go second and I would go third. Well, so Pippen Mark Jackson goes- would be second or third round. <laughs> we couldn't even be drafted. <laughs> He'd be undrafted free agent. Uh, Scotty goes fifth, but he was at that point, it seemed pretty high because he, he had, we didn't know about his college experience. He was raw athlete, but five seemed like almost a reach. Yeah. I don't know if Scotty, you know, back then, because you know, you, you had to shoot the three and, um, you know, today, so if, you know, today's era, they wouldn't have known Scotty could be Scotty. I don't think, um, people would have been able to foresee that. Right. Um, I still said we still had Scotty going about 10 though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We still, because of his length and his size, and they would have been like, oh, he's a great, he's going to be a great uh, defender at that position. Well, so then it goes, you're sixth, you go to Sacramento, Kevin Johnson, seven, Olden Polonese, eight, Derek McKee, nine, Horace Grant, 10, Reggie Miller, 11. Those are a lot of NBA years. That's like, that's like 90 to 95 just NBA seasons in six straight picks, which is pretty unusual for the draft. Yeah, and you know what the crazy thing is? I, we, I, I always say our draft was, you know, obviously with Reggie and David, you know, being, you know, superb, great players. But everyone else, like Mark Jackson at 18, Muggsy Bogues at 13, you know, uh, we were all the guys who were the glue guys, the guys that help you win, yeah. win it all. Like there's a lot of championships or, or NBA finals in those in, in that '87 draft. A lot of people who you know won rings or were very close to winning rings. Yeah, and Re- and Reggie Lewis was the big prize later, but then you know he's he's gone in six years. But that was an unbelievable pick for the Celtics. This draft was a really good draft, and I think this this draft. I mean, I don't want to talk about the draft too much, but this draft this year, where I think the top three would all be number one picks overall in normal drafts, right? So you could get Evan Mobley with the third pick and he might be the, he would have been the first pick in probably half of the last 10 drafts we've had. So I'm really fascinated to see how it plays out. Very fascinating. And I want to see where, is it going to be really top heavy? Like, you know, are these guys who are now getting a lot of attention, are they going to be, is Evan Mobley going to be as good as Chris Bosh as they're projecting? Yeah, you yeah. You know, it is, um, is, uh, Cunningham going to be as good as Paul Pierce? Is he really going to be that? 
Like, he's going to be as good as those guys. And so we'll see, you know, and where you go, you see it on the head. If, if certain guys go certain places, their whole, their whole career changes, you know. Coaching well, you, is everything. Think about your draft. If you just get taken by the Bulls, you're, you have your own last dance episode. I'm, all, I'm always, I, you know, I always say, I used to tell my son this, and this was in confidence. I used to say, I'm so jealous of Scottie Pippen. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, because he went one pick ahead of me. And I would have loved to play with Michael. I would have never had an issue with the way he, you know, his, his tyranny, so to speak. <laughs> I was from, I'm from New York City. That's yeah. how we talk to each other. Right. That's what we do. Like, he, and that brings out the best in you, I always thought. So I was, I was so disappointed not going to the Bulls. And I was so jealous of Scotty for so long until I got to play with Akeem. When I got to play with Akeem, I was like, man, I finally got that again. I was so jealous of him the first five years of my career. I was like, I do. I wish I was Scotty Pippen there. I wish I had been there. Well, we the last time you were on, we were talking about how great Hakeem was. And he's now... He's the lost guy now from out of the top 15 best guys ever. He's the one that's faded away, partly because of who he is. He's quiet, dude. He's not out there. He's not on TV shows. Um, he just kind of faded. Moses faded away for different reasons, and now Moses is gone. But the, both of those guys, where somebody like Shaq, he retires, and he was so famous when he was playing, and now he's on TV, and your legacy kind of keeps going. I was watching Giannis. I was watching Giannis this year, and I'm thinking, what he just did really reminded me of the Hakeem 94 and 95 runs in some way, right? Where it's like the, the title was available. It was, it was ready to be stolen by somebody. He stayed healthy. He got better as it went along. He, he dipped into some different level that we weren't positive he had in him and made, his, made the guys around him better. And he just took the title. It was not much different than your 94 title, right? I 100% agree, you know? And, um, you know, you have some really interesting pieces, some guys who, you know, people didn't, didn't think that could get it done at other places. Uh, we, we played with a chip on our shoulder, the Mario Ellis and Bernard yeah. Maxwell of the world, you know, didn't think they could get it done at other places, including myself. And then, but what, you know, what the one thing that I would say, they all, they were the best basketball team this year because everyone's like, oh, injuries. I'm like, every team this year had an injury but they were the only ones who could sustain it. They won a series without him. They won yeah. two games in a series to get past Atlanta without him. Every other team in the league, LeBron and the Lakers, they couldn't hold it down until AD got back. You know, uh, the Phoenix Suns, they held it down until Chris Paul got back with the protocol. Every other team held it down or were able to hold it down or couldn't. And so you could, I don't think you could take anything away from what the Milwaukee Bucks did because they were truly the best team this year. What about Giannis reminds you of Hakeem? Relentless. Like, I mean, if you, when you talk about Hakeem, you always say he's relentless. He will go help on defense, run back on and block a shot. He would go get the offensive rebound. He, did, he scored in so many different ways where – some of the great players today, they are great, but they only could do a couple of things. If Akeem was having an off offensive night, he'd have 10, 10 offensive rebounds. Yeah. So, so 
Like, he could dominate the game on the offensive glass. Name me three other superstars that could do that. You know, Giannis can dominate the game on his offensive glass. You know what? I'm not having a great game. Your best player will not get 20 points tonight. He, can right. start, he won't get 20. Like, and, and we're talking about a guard, too, with Akeem and, and Giannis. Like, because they can shot block, you could, you could be a great driver and can't score. Oh, you know what? You're a great shooter. We switch you on a pick and roll, and he can defend you. Like, it's so many different ways and their relentlessness of how they did it. Russell Westbrook has it. Michael Jordan has it. Giannis has it. And Akeem had it. And obviously Michael and Kobe. Yeah, poor Chris Paul, who's almost your age at this point. Um, <laughs> and he's feeling great all playoffs. And then in this series, he's he gets his switch that he wants, but it's Giannis guarding him. It's like, oh, this is a little different. Yeah, a little bit different. And, um, you know, Chris has done a, an unbelievable job, you know, orchestrating a young team uh, who, who really has shown that they were ready in the bubble. Um, and yeah. he pushed them over the top. Uh, they probably would have lost in the first round or maybe second round if he's not there. And they had, you know, the same team they had in the bubble. But his ability to get them over the top and the first time for him being out, you know, yeah. You know, when he was in, went with the with the because uh, his his championship might be different if, in the Houston Rockets if he doesn't go down. That might be different in the, with the Clippers if he doesn't go down. Do you think like he's going to be a free agent? Kyle Lowry's a free agent. These guys are in their mid thirties. They're guards, little guys. Notoriously, it can just go and that's it. You know, and when you're a little guy and you lose a half step, it's like losing four steps. And yet with what the way Chris handled last season, I think people are starting to feel like he's invincible and that Kyle Lowry three years, 90 million makes total sense. But how realistic is it for these little guys to play into their late thirties? Cause we've never seen it before. Well, I, I think you, you're going to see more and more of it because of the lack of hand checking. Hmm. So there's no hand check rule. So that physicality that slows you down, you know, isn't there anymore. So now, not only that you lose a step, now I could hold you as well. You lose three to four steps. Well, without, without the physicality, I think, guys, your skill level could still keep you around. You could be Ginobili was the first one to me that did it. That could play into his 40s. Like, how is a two-guard playing in his 40s? It's hmm. like there's no hand check. You know, he's able to slither through still. He's still able to do things. You know, so I think you'll see more of it based off the fact of lack of physicality. And now it's around, it's really dribbling around cones at times and shooting over larger cones. Yeah. You know, it, it's not the same as it was in the 90s, let's say. And you, you have the, couldn't do that. And you have the dieting, you have the, the, all the tricks that they have now that they didn't have in the mid 90s. Yeah, the biggest trick is you don't have, um, Alvin Robertson's hand on you. You don't have <laughs> yeah. Vernon Maxwell's hand on you. You don't have, that's the biggest trick of all. You can have the best diet in the world, but if you have that, you're okay. When did you, when did you realize it was, you were heading toward an end? What year was it? Did you, did you, was there a moment where you're like, oh, I'm not, I, yeah. I can see the finish line right now. I, when, you know, I was, I was the jet, so to speak. Bill. Yeah. And, you know, when I would get a steal, 
you, you get a steal and you take a picture. You go, you take a mental picture of what, what's behind you. And then you know, and then you can see what's in front of you. And when I used to take that mental picture, everyone would be like, like standing up straight. And then all of a sudden, everybody was like this. They were in running mode. They were like, they believe they could catch me. Mm. Oh my God. Like, and they started to catch up. And I was like, anytime I would get a steal, I would now have to make it a two-on-one break. That's when I knew the end was there. Where I get a steal, it was like, no one's going to catch me. I'm going to dunk this thing as hard as I can. And there's no one ever going to be near me. But when Uh. you take that middle picture and everybody's face is like this, and they're like, (laughs) I can go get him. I was like, it's the end is near. The end is near. Um, what What was the biggest lesson for you from this basketball season? Did you take anything away? Did the, so you feel like the Bucks were the right team that won, and yet I could argue if Durant's big toe is six inches back, the Nets win the title. Like, I like how are we going to remember this season five years from now? They couldn't sustain it. They couldn't. They couldn't get. They couldn't play well enough to get Kyrie back. They couldn't play well enough to get hard and healthy. You know, the Bucks did that. Yeah, you know, we we watched the guy have maybe one of the most ca- catastrophic-looking injuries with Giannis, and they held it down until he got there. So to me, that was the difference. I'm like, this is the hold-down year. Can you hold me down? Yeah. Can you hold your best players down? And the Milwaukee Bucks held them down. So I have to tip my hat off to them because the Lakers couldn't do it. You know, the yeah. Nets couldn't do it. Philly really couldn't. Philly kind of didn't have to do it. They just didn't play well enough. So... They were the best team. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that. Made with high quality ingredients like seasoned slow roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken Menu at Taco Bell now. This episode is brought to you by Peloton. Spring, the best time of the year to dial your fitness routine up a notch. You know it's gonna happen. It's gonna get warm. Gonna start wearing shorts. Gonna start wearing bathing suits. Just, you're not gonna be able to cover up behind those big coats anymore. Also, it's nice outside. Get outside, do stuff. Or, you don't have time to get outside, I got Peloton for you. Whether you have five or 60 minutes, Peloton's workouts were made to challenge you. Classes like boot camps, full body strength, boxing, marathon training are created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in and you won't feel bad about not being outside. Peloton's expert coaches, challenging classes, and nonstop vibes will keep you coming back for more. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Would you trade for Ben Simmons? Yes. Without question. I think that... You know, I used to play with a couple of guys um, and they used to say they couldn't shoot the basketball all, all through my life, high school, college, whatever. And they were, and I, I was always a good shooter. And I'd be like, oh, come on, let's go work out. Well, you come work with me out. You know, we'll get you jumping right. We'll get you right. Avery Johnson was one of those guys. I said, but, hey, you know, we're going to get to a point where you're going to shoot it well enough you're going to tell people, but I still do this so well, you're not, you still might not see it. So let's concentrate on what you do really well. So, yeah, you don't shoot the three, 
but they might not ever have to see it, you know? And that's when you start becoming elite. And that's what Giannis did. He said, I don't shoot the three well, but I'm going to do this so great that you might not have to see it. And I think Ben has to really focus in on that and say, I'm going to push the basketball at six for 10 at a pace that you might not ever see me shoot a three. But I will work on it. But you might not ever see it. Yeah, I guess I, I'm a big defender of his. I thought he was terrible in the playoffs. I mean, he obviously fell apart. The question for me is, there's this, I think as a regular season guy, I could build a team around him that's really good, right? Like you said, I, I put the ball in his hands. I'm running. I'm going. I have shooters. I'm just, I'm, I'm giving him the car case. He's doing his thing. But when we get to the playoffs and it slows down and it gets super physical and it gets tense and you can feel it in the arena and every, every possession's like squeezing blood from a rock. Um, do I want him out there in those, in those situations? That's the part I can't wrap my head around. Well, to be a great player to me in life, like a superstar, not a, not a, not an all-star. There's a difference between an all-star and superstar. A super, there's five ways to control the game. Obviously, we know rebounding, scoring, assist. Then there's defense. There's leadership. And then the last, which is the most important for a guard, is pace of game. So in the playoffs, when you played the Phoenix Suns with Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, you still had to play fast. Yeah. Like, they make you play at that pace. I don't care who you are. You're going to have to score 110 points to beat the Phoenix Suns with Jason Kidd or Steve Nash at the point in the playoffs. That's how he has to think. To me, that's what I would be emphasizing if I was a teammate, coach, general manager, or president. Like, you have to play at this pace, and you have to make us play and make the other team say, you got to score 110 to beat us. And if you could do that, no one's going to give a damn about your jump shots. Well, he's not the player Hakeem was. But everyone forgets there was this Hakeem moment, right, in 92 before he had his three-year run where he wanted to get traded. He was out there. He was available. And I remember there were, like, Reggie Lewis for Hakeem trade rumors and shit. Every city had their version of, like, can we get Hakeem? A little like what is happening with Dame Lillard now. And I wonder, like, with this Philly thing, because to me it seems broken. I just don't think Embiid and Simmons make sense together. I don't think they're ever going to make it, but we kind of felt like with Hakeem in Houston in 92, it's like, oh, well, he can never be the best guy in a title team. He needs to change the scenery. We had all these preconceived things, and then he ripped off one of the great three-year runs any center's had. Simmons isn't Hakeem, but it's always, I always, I always think about that. that sometimes a trade you don't make can be the best trade you make, you know? I, you know, we, the, the, the trade I was just going to let you know was actually going to go through. And it was Glenn Rice and Vladi Divac for Akeem Olajuwon. What? And yeah, that's it. And and and, and it, I think in a pick, you know, Glenn Rice was you know the shooting. You know, yeah, he was, was an all star at the time. Vlade was Vlade. So, you know, that was a trade that was going out. And I remember going to Akeem and going, "Do you really want to not be here?" And then. You know, I mean, he, he, went kinda, to he went to college there. Yeah, Like, he's so he leaving Houston. Really he's leaving close. a place he'd been for 12 years. 
Yeah, he and I were really close, and most of our team, that 12 guys, like, we all had a relationship where we could ask the honest question to each other. And, and he kind of danced around it. And so he said, I, I haven't heard the right thing to make me stay. And then Rudy Tomjanovich, we were talking, and I think we all sitting around, and we said, he said he hasn't heard the right thing to make him stay. And our owner at the time, Charlie Thomas, we, had, we were playing, I'll never forget, we were playing uh, Seattle, which is a four-hour flight from Houston to, and they, he sat next to Keen for four hours, and they talked. And I and when he and the way he started laughing, I heard that Akeem laugh. I was like, he's staying. He's gonna. I was like, as good as those two guys were, I knew what he was. And yeah. I was like, I was so happy when I heard. I could hear his laughter, like after about an hour and a half into the flight. And I was like, wow, that's the first time we've heard this guy laugh in about three weeks. So what what was he unhappy about? I don't even remember. Like, was it a bunch of built up small stuff, or was it a specific thing? I think that we were a bunch of ragamuffins, man. And, like, there was no commitment to winning. And we were bringing in guys who had shady past, and he wasn't sure if those guys were built to win. Yeah. And then he realized that those guys with those shady past were tough like he was. They just wasn't as talented as he was. And then he believed. And, and that was it. And it, and it took... It took that. It took everyone to have conversations, and they were honest conversations that he would have with us, and we would have with him. And um, and then he decided that I didn't want to be on the block, and you know, and obviously a guy who, who lived and grown up in Houston his whole life, outside of Nigeria, you know, he wanted to stay. Yeah, there's some instructive stuff there, right? Like Houston doesn't panic, but also like if you're Houston, you're thinking like we have a guy who is one of the best players in the league. And if we trade him, there's really no scenario where we're matching what we already have. And I, I think about that with Portland now. I don't think Dame's as good as Hakeem either, but he's one of the best nine players in the league, 10 players, whatever your list is. He's a guaranteed playoff spot. And from what we just saw with Milwaukee and Phoenix, like a building block that potentially if you put the right people around him, you might be able to make the finals. And if, if we learned anything this year, it's like, you at least need one of those guys. You need Chris Paul. You need Giannis, whoever it is. So I wonder, you like... You want me to tell you what it could look like if, you, if you're Portland and you trade Damon Lillard? Yeah, tell me. Houston Rockets this year. You say, we're going to rebuild. We're going to trade James Harden. And you look at it and you go, you're the second worst team in basketball. Like, how did I get here? How did I become the second worst team in basketball and two years ago... I was an injury away from being in the NBA Finals. Right. How does the Chicago Bulls, we're talking about Michael Jordan, it took them how many years to even make the playoffs until Derrick Rose come? Like, when you're, you have a top five player or you have a top three in his position, you can't get rid of those guys. You have to figure out a way to work with them. That's my philosophy and that's my logic. That's how I feel. I haven't seen a superstar trade that I feel 100% on. I, I mean, honestly, what New Orleans got for Davis is about as good as you're going to do. But then as the years pass and you look at it and it's like, all right. They still haven't made the playoffs. Yeah, they haven't made the playoffs. Lonzo's going to leave. They have Brandon Ingram left. 
the pick that they got in 2019, they traded back and they got a couple guys, none of whom are going to make the all-star team. They have a couple picks and a couple pick swaps left, but the Lakers have LeBron and David. It's like, we could look back in 10 years and be like, wow, they got 30 cents on the dollar. You know? I would never trade anyone as a, as a, from a manager position. I would never trade anyone because they're unhappy, personally. Yeah, your job is to make them happy. I'm like, what, what do you mean? You're unhappy. That doesn't, I have a billion dollar organization. Yeah. Doesn't mean that you're un, your happiness is temporary. Like, that's momentary and temporary. Like, you know, and it's a spiritual is like, Joy is what is inside of you. Like, yeah. we could be unhappy, but we, like, if I'm using my joy, which means you can't help me win, that's when I trade you. But I'm never for being unhappy, ever. Never going to trade you for being unhappy. Like, I got a billion-dollar organization. You're so happy? Like, what, all right, well, I can make you happy. Yeah, I give me, give me a week. Joyful will make you joyful, which means I can't get a chip. Are you surprised how fast the Knicks have turned things around, at least the perception that they are now competent? Yeah, I, 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 you know, being a New Yorker, you know, I always root subliminally for them, even not, yes. not outwardly. Um, but they're just as close to being really good, honestly, as being really bad again. They're really close in terms of personnel and free agency because you're like, Derek, two of the three of their best players are over 30, 35. Yeah. Derek Rose, you know, those guys are are older in their career. Taj Gibson, all those guys who came in and helped them are at the end of their career. And they have to figure out guys who are in the middle or the beginning of their career who could have that kind of input, which they don't have. And that would be the scary thing for me if I was a Knicks fan or management, like, I could be just as bad easily as I could be just as good. Right, because the only three key, really, ultimately, it's Randall, Quickly, Barrett, Toppin. And maybe Mitchell Robinson, if he can ever stand the court. But other than that... Yeah, but he wasn't even a guy who helped him, you know, win Mitchell Robinson last yeah. year. Yeah. You know, he was hurt. You know, and R.J. Barrett is developing. But, you know... When he was developing, they weren't that good, you know, yet. And Randall, like, they're, they're, the guy who helped them the most, you know, Derrick Rose, is at the latter part of his career. And so you don't have a guy who's helped you to that magnitude. And was he was your second best player. So that's why I would be a little bit uneasy. And I would really like this draft and this offseason, I would, man, that would be so vital. Vital. Because I could go from a, what, a four seed to a 10 seed pretty quickly. Right. And it's a weird conference, too. Because now, now the Bucks are going to have that title. We won the title confidence. So they're going to be just tougher in general. I think Giannis definitely went up a level. He's, and you he's get not coming down now. Veteran, but, uh, built, like, you get guys who are veterans who say, I'll go to Milwaukee now. Yeah. I can you win know, a title. I can win a title. I'll go there. And I'll, you know, I'll be that seventh, eighth guy on the team, eighth, ninth man, you know, but even though I should be starting at some other places, you have those guys available to you now. Well, and that was easily the most significant thing that happened in the, in the season is Giannis, even think about your show, you and Chuck and Shaq 
you're kind of the arbiters of whether somebody has reached a certain level or not. And you're very candid about it. And I think it carries a lot of weight with the players. We've seen a guy like Joel Embiid, like his feelings were really hurt when you guys went at him. Um, I don't think any of you felt like Giannis had a chance to get on the level of, on that kind of Shaq Moses Akeem level, historically, as somebody who could be that impactful. But he he just did it. And now I think he has a chance. I didn't feel that way six weeks ago. And he, and he took shots at everybody who was part of it. And when he, well, you know, he's like, I'm not calling guys out, but you called them out. And he said, I, you know, I could have joined some superstar, you know, super team. Yeah. And, but I said, I'm going to do it here because I'm stubborn. And I, I, I didn't want to be, just do my part. I wanted, it was hard. And I wanted it to be hard. Right. I did it. And that said, that also the way that sets a chill through the league. And it sets a message through the league when your best player wins a championship, the league is a copycat league. And now we, people are going to go, well, you're not Giannis. You can't do it like Giannis. And those, those guys have the biggest egos just like everyone else. And when you say you can't do it like Giannis, they're going to go, yeah, I can now. They could, I think in the next three to four years, we got guys like Devin Booker. They won't even think about leaving, you know, yeah. leaving their team. Well, it was interesting, the outpouring of it. And I'm sure you felt it when you won the two titles in Houston. It's one of the funny outcomes, though, and you see it on your show, is Shaq and, and Chuck talking about these guys asking out, it's your job to be a superstar. Chuck, Chuck's, oh, it's, it's a little slippery with him because he definitely wanted out of Philly and pushed his way to Phoenix to play with KJ and Dan Marley and all that stuff. But now it's like he spun it where they want to get rid of him. I never really, if you go back and read the stories, I think he wanted out yeah, more than yeah, they wanted I, to trade know, him. Chuck, Chuck has a slippery slope, but the more <laughs> slippery slope I always mess with him as he goes, you know, I never played with great players. I'm like, play with Dr. J and Moses Malone. <laughs> right, and Andrew Tony. You play with Andrew. You play with Akiba Lajuan and and Scottie Pippen. Like he's like, yeah, but that was that was that wasn't Scottie Pippen. Clyde Drexler he played with. He played KJ was unstoppable in the mid nineties. Yeah, but yeah, you know, but still, like he stayed with some guys who were the top fifty list. So I always give him a hard time and go, you can't say you didn't play with great players. He's like, yeah, but Dr. J was uh, and most no, they were still great players. You can't say it. So well, and then Shaq had the great player in his prime. Shaq had Orlando and and got mad basically because I don't know that that was petty on both sides. But all of a sudden he's on the Lakers. Petty on Orlando. Petty on Orlando. It was. Yeah, they 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 were they were they were trying to save. Like they wanted a Bentley, and they wanted the discount. Like, no, though, it's, it's, if you can't afford a Bentley, you're not supposed to be in the store. You can't right. wait for the sale. Like, you can't ask for the sale on a Bentley. You got to pay the Bentley and what it is. Like, it's that's what that car is. There's no sale price on that car. Well, you know who's in that spot now? Is the Phoenix Suns. Phoenix Suns, who we've never seen Sarver pay the tax. He's got Chris Paul. It's going to want a bit, want a longer extension. They got Mikhail Bridges coming up in a year. They have Aiton's contract coming. They already paid Booker. They're looking at a situation where they're going to have $400 million guys 
in you know nine to twelve months, and we've never seen that dude pay the money. The the, the other part of it is though, they're gonna see if those guys are really who they were, or are they the Miami Heat? If you know what I mean, where the Miami Heat gets to the they got to the NBA Finals, but we're not talking about those four or five guys on that team with the same reverence. Yep that we did last year. And um, they're going to have to see if those four or five guys are going to have the same reverence next year. Then you'll know if you you have to pay that tax. Well, and you're also in a bitch of a conference. Yeah. There's not a lot of room in the West. You could go four to ten really quickly. Because we have Golden State coming back next year. Yeah. We have a healthy Lakers team. We would... We would assume, like, you go on down the line, it's like Denver, Murray will be back by hopefully by March. Uh, Utah, Utah's still there. Clippers, yeah. that I guess but would be. That, you know what the funny thing is, Bill? People used to ask me about how good Milwaukee was, and I was like, I'm not 100% sure. And they were like, why? I said, because they're in the East. Yeah. So you got 28 games that you should win 24. It's been a lot of years. When the Knicks were bad, when the Nets were bad, the Wizards, Cleveland. Detroit, you're playing them four times a year. I, I mean, that's 20 games out of those five teams I named, and it's four, three, or four more that I haven't thought of. Like, so I'm like, I'm not sure. You win 60 games in the West. I know you're good. There's no doubt about it. You're playing Utah four times, Lakers four times, Clippers four times, Denver four times. Like, I know you're good. Like, in the, in the East, you can win 60 games and not really be a great team. Yeah. What do you expect? What would you want Golden State to do before we go? They got seven and fourteen. They got Wiseman. They got Clay coming back. There's all these different directions they could go, and everybody's like, "No, they should trade those picks for a star." There's no star. It's like, all right, well, find me the star. Washington doesn't want to trade Bradley Beal yet. He doesn't want to leave. It's not Ben Simmons. Doesn't make sense. So they're going to end up making these picks and have this weird team of like young guys and guys ready to win the title right now. What would you do? I'm the Golden State Warriors with, you know, I'm, anytime I have uh, Steph Curry on the floor, I'm trying to win a title. Me too. So any, any, any way that I can win a title and what is it going to take, I'm going to do that. I'm never going to go, I'm building for my future. My future is now. And this guy's got about four-year run where he could play at this level. So I got to take advantage of those four years. And at least these three, I got to take advantage of. Um, so I'm getting players in there that are ready to win an NBA title. So you're trading like Wiggins seven and 14 for Siakam, those kind of trades. Well, I think Wiggins and Siakam, I'm not sure if that's a, a such a bigger upgrade, but I'm going to upgrade if I can. I okay. think that, you know, Siakam, I think Wiggins can do what Siakam does if he had Clay Thompson on the floor with him at the same See, time. I, I actually agree with you, but I'm in the Wiggins minority. But I, I just, Siakam seems like the if they're going to upgrade, I think that's best available for them. Because I don't think they're getting Bradley Beal for what, the, what they have. You know? And, I and, think Ben Simmons is the, is the biggest upgrade. I mean... Oh, so you would do that? Yeah, I would, I would, I would, I would definitely take Ben Simmons. Because if you, you think about what, think about what Draymond does, right? Yeah. Draymond is able to get 15. He had 20 assists in a game. Yeah. And he was able to rebound and defend, and he very, very rarely takes shots. But he's not the offensive player that Ben Simmons is in the paint. 
So he doesn't get into the – he can't drive the lanes and score the way Ben Simmons can. And Ben Simmons could pass the way he could. Like, so I would open the floor and have him at the point and have Clay on one – stretched on one side and have Steph on the other. He'd have an open lane to the basket. So you're saying, like, almost like – Almost like how they use Iguodala, but like on steroids. Without question. Because the size, the strength, and his ability to go downhill is better than all of those guys. Yeah. So like Wiggins 7 and 14 for Simmons? Yes. Without Interesting. question. I kind of, you know, that's, I never thought of Simmons in the Iguodala spot if you're using their mid-2010 teams. That actually, you know, Iguodala couldn't really shoot oh, either. Shooting. I don't, I don't have to worry about shooting if I have Clay and Steph on the court. I don't have to worry about it. I have never have to worry about shooting. Plus a couple because of free agents, like minimum floor. guys. Yeah. Yep. They're going to they're gonna spread the floor enough where I never have to worry. Um, do, you, do you talk to Chuck when the season's not happening or do you need, a, do you need to detox from him? Like, is it like a I, Chuck I, diet I, for I, you? I do detox, but I did talk to him two days ago, a day more than FaceTime. I did, and I FaceTime Shaq the other day. So like, <laughs> ah, you uh, miss those guys. Yeah, I, you know, and and I it's funny, and I Facetime Ernie. Like three, <laughs> in the last three days, I did Facetime on three. One because we went to I went to the premiere of Space Jam. Yeah, and my kids were we loved it, and we Facetime Ernie was like, yo, I was so proud of him in Space Jam. I don't know why. Yeah, like, it was so different because I went to a movie theater, I guess, and to see Ernie on the big screen, screen, I actually felt proud for some reason. And I was sitting there, and when he comes on the screen, I'm like, oh, no! <laughs> like, and I never had that feeling for him, about him, like that. I don't know why I was so proud of him. He's won Emmys. Yeah, and I was just awesome. like, oh, good. But I, I was super proud of him, and being a space jam, which is weird. And then Shaq, I was, um, I FaceTimed Shaq, because he, he, he was going to be DJing in Vegas. And I was, like, laughing about that. And... And I was talking to Charles, and it was a player comparison where we would have an argument of who's a better player in the house. I have basketball arguments all the time. And so we had to have Charles. I, I, I'm going to call Charles, and that's what it is. So yeah. I miss him, I guess. <laughs> I, I, it sounds like you do. How are you feeling about North Carolina hoops next year? Oh, yeah, we're, we're, I'm excited. I think um, a lot of good young transfers, a lot of good um, um, young freshmen coming in. And then I'm interested to see what Uber does. I know he's going to have an enthusiasm, excitement that, you know, not to say that Coach Williams doesn't have, but it's your first run. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you're going to have, and you're not going to have an enthusiasm and an effort that no one else yeah. has had or could say they have. So I'm excited to see it. I'm excited by 100%. Are you going to be like Uncle Kenny, handing out, like, you know, iPhones under the table to different, different people as they come in? Oh, yes. Like, like Booster, Booster Kenny? Well, what I am, like, like North Carolina, if you, if you, you don't understand it. We don't recruit. We don't have guys call, former yeah. players call. Yeah, they're lucky that. to play for North Carolina. You don't need you to don't get you don't need to give them anything. But <laughs> we, we also, like, we got our own secret handshakes and all that. We make sure that you, we start giving it to those guys that we want to get here. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, well, good luck with Carolina. Good luck with the Jet Academy. It was good to see you. Um, yeah, and hey, we're going to end with this note. Yeah. There it is, baby. You can't it's get awesome. any better than this. In Great the job, D-Zone, you. 
in the stands. You got 20,000 empty seats. <laughs> <laughs> Great job by you. Good seeing you, Kenny. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, that's it for the pod. Thanks to Justin. Thanks to Kenny Smith. Don't forget the Ringer NBA show and the Ryan Rosillo podcast are also diving deep into the NBA draft. This is a really important one. Three potential all-NBA guys as the first three picks and a whole lot more subplots and all kinds of things going on. What's Golden State going to do? Who knows? We're going to find out. Check it out. This podcast was produced by Kyle Creighton, and I will see you here on Thursday.